coming to you from the greatest recording studio in the world, aka my beautiful 2003 Honda Accord. Hello everyone, and welcome to Season 3 of Dissecting History. It has been a lot longer than I expected to record another podcast, but uh, 2020 has been a weird year, let's just say that, we all know it. So uh, it's been kind of difficult to record podcasts, some crazy stuff's going on, and it's December, and... (laughs) now and we're at the end of the year and i'm trying to start season three uh so here we are uh i'm excited to start another season of dissecting history and to just make more podcasts about uh just all these crazy events uh that people tend to forget about in world history and maybe uh help uh just gain more of a deeper understanding of certain figures who maybe we only know a little bit about and we can dig deeper into who they were, what they were doing, and all that jazz. And so today I am very excited to learn, uh, well, for to teach really, I should say, talk about um, a group of people uh, that I really knew nothing about until very recently. Uh, and these group of people were very important and they're often forgotten in the Uh, just the realm of history, sadly, and they really shouldn't be. But without further ado today, uh, this podcast is going to be on the Nubians. Uh, The Nubians, which I love that name, by the way, um, were from uh, Africa, uh, which would be modern-day Sudan, um, right underneath uh, Egypt, if you know your geography. So if you know where Egypt is, it's it's, it's in the corner of Africa, uh, right where um, Africa and Asia kind of connect. Uh, And right below Egypt, going deeper down into Africa, um, is a country known as uh, Sudan. It's actually split into two countries now, North and South Sudan, Uh, but that's that's for another day. Um, But uh, Nubia would have been in that, uh, situated in that region. Um, So they're an African kingdom, the kingdom of Nubia. And they, um, during their heyday, they were uh, the bordering country of the declining Egyptian Empire. If you know, most people know that Egypt was kind of running the world uh, back in ancient times. Uh, but of course, like all great civilizations, they eventually did start to uh, fall. Uh, in 730 BC, um, the leader of Nubia, his name is Pa, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Uh, he um, he decides that he wants to save Egypt. So flashback, Egypt. Uh, like I said, it was declining, and Nubia, the leader of Nubia, uh, uh, PA, wants to save it. Now, the interesting thing about this is that why would you want to save one of your, like, neighboring countries? Um, Now, maybe today that would be a little bit more realistic. I mean, the United States would, of course, want to protect some of its allies if they were on the decline, especially strong, powerful ones like the UK, you know, stuff like that. It makes sense. Back then, you know, Relations between other countries weren't exactly as smooth as they are today. Now, I know a lot of people think, well, you know, diplomatic relations aren't really always that smooth. You know, look at United States and North Korea, United States and China, United States and Russia. Yes, but back then, if, you know, I guess if diplomacy didn't work, you just instantly pull out your swords and start attacking each other. Today, it's a little bit, there's a little bit more of a protocol. There's a little bit more, you know, there's a couple more steps before you get to like all out war. But back then it was like, you looked at me funny, your town's getting invaded pretty much. Uh, so it's weird that Nubia would want to help Egypt. Uh, and what makes it even weirder is that Egypt was a powerhouse, obviously, and Egypt actually subjugated Nubia. Now, what's weird about this is is that Nubia pretty much was actually 
on the rise when Egypt took the took over Nubia. So Egypt actually saw Nubia and they were like, crap, like these guys are gonna like, become a problem later. And the reason why was because Nubia was really, really good at trading. They were trade they were the most powerful traders um, in ivory, gold, and ebony, which were very important, uh, you know, even today, obviously. But back then, they were, you know, he wanted some of that sweet stuff. And they actually were really, really strong warriors. They were very fierce, and they were really considered one of the strongest nations, militarily speaking, at that time. They were able to basically fight off um, strong powers like the Assyrian Empire, who were vicious. The Syrians were so brutal that whenever they came to town, like, people knew because they left a lot of remains, to say, to put it lightly. But Nubia went toe-to-toe with them, and they, they completely owned the Assyrians. And Egypt was kind of freaked out by that, so they were like, this ends now. So they basically came in and, and subjugated Nubia. Um, now, it's more than just conquering because what they actually did was they started getting rid of a lot of Nubian culture and they inserted Egyptian culture. And what ended up happening was the Nubians basically became these like Egyptian fanboys where they kind of like, they just loved Egyptian culture. They were just like, man, this is actually pretty rocking. Let's, let's stick with this. You know, we kind of have to stick with this because, you know, if we resist them, they're just going to, you know, throw us all in the dungeon or whatever. But, but they actually did enjoy Egyptian culture. They actually built their own pyramids. They started just adopting a lot of Egyptian, um, a lot of Egyptian uh, uh, practices. And basically, they they kind of just they kind of just became part of Egypt, you know, like a lot of times when empires conquer or, you know, other nations, it's they like you kind of feel the tension and the awkwardness there because it's like they don't want to be controlled by the other country. But Nubia was pretty chill with it. Like, honestly, for the most part, they started, you know, um, religiously speaking, they started following Egyptian, um, uh, you know, deities or whatever you want to call it, you know, the, the Egyptian pantheon. They started, you know, um, really, really liking Egyptian religion for whatever reason. They kind of like, and again, Nubia had their own religion, but because Egypt basically forced them to convert to becoming Egyptian, pretty much, you know, full-fledged, they, uh, one of the things that came along with it was religion, and they really liked Egyptian religion for whatever reason, and, you know, they loved their culture, they really embraced it, and it was really weird, so when, going back, that's like the backstory of Nubia and Egypt, Egypt shows up and they're just like, you're ours now, because we don't want to have to deal with you later, and Nubia's weirdly chill about it, and they really like kind of just being Egyptians. They're like Egypt's little brother. It's funny. But what ends up happening is going back to what I was saying, PA, he, he, the, he's the leader of Nubia. Again, when countries conquer other countries, usually what they do is they establish like what we would call today like puppet leaders, like people who are kind of in control, but really not. Like they still have to answer to the, the, the leadership of the main empire. So like in Rome, like there'd be the, you know, the Caesar, but like then there were like prefects or governors, what you would call them, and they would control different regions. And those were regions that were conquered by Rome. And they would still, there'd be leaders of that region, so the people would answer to the governor, but the governor would still have to answer to the, the emperor. So it's the same concept. So Egypt was the heart, but all these other countries that maybe they would control, they would still have the local leaders there, they would just still have to answer to Egypt. So PA was the leader of his people, Nubia, and 
What's happening is, like I said before, Egypt's on the decline. Egypt is falling apart. And what's happening is because Egypt went through this really bad phase of they really couldn't get their religion together. It's really weird. Egypt, more or less, was just extremely divided with their religion. Like, so a lot of times in Egyptian history, what ends up happening is that, like, for the longest time, they're polytheistic, meaning they, they, they worship multiple gods um, and stuff. They have a big pantheon, if you will. Uh, and basically... So, unlike most, like, modern-day, you know, religions, there's, like, they, the Egyptians believed there was, like, a god for everything. So it was, like, you know, the god of farming, the god of trees, the god of, like, you know, walking across the street. Like, it was, it was, it was actually kind of ridiculous. It reached some certain... It was really absurd on some, on some levels. But it was weird because people who had different jobs, like, liked the certain deities in the pantheon because they thought that it was, like, their thing. It's weird. So if you're a farmer, you're really into the farming, the crop, the harvest, you know, God or whatever you want to call it. And what ends up happening is basically Egypt starts having this like internal civil war over what, who is like, if, if all the gods matter or if none of the gods matter, or if there's one important one. And at one point, one of the pharaohs basically, um, <laughs> he, one of the pharaohs more or less decides, you know what guys, never mind, forget this. There's only one important uh, you know, God in the Pantheon. And, uh, that guy's name was Akhenaten and he was, uh, King Tut's father. Most people know King Tut is and whatever he, he, that he, he, by declaring there's only one important God in the Pantheon, he effectively, you know, ticks off all, a lot of people in Egypt and it kind of divides Egypt. And then King Tut kind of tries to fix it when he becomes leader. And he's like, okay, never mind, guys, never mind. Psych, which is a prank. We can go back to doing what you were initially doing. But Egypt's just really back and forth and hot and cold with what the religion is. And ironically enough, down south in Nubia, they just love Egyptian culture and they're really solid. So Nubians basically become more Egyptian than the Egyptians because they are like so diehard for Egyptian culture now because they've had to live in it and they just really like it. You know, they're building their own pyramids, like I said. Like they really are into Egypt. So whatever, long story short, Egypt's completely ripping itself to shreds because it can't get its, you know itself together uh specifically in terms of its religion and it's just it really is just a matter of whoever's leading the country at the time they whatever they like is what goes and unfortunately like that disregards a lot of people and it really annoys a lot of people and it's just uh man it was a mess it was a ma it was a mess and so whatever and pa the leader of nubia who's being controlled by egypt sees he sees what's going on up north and he's like, Egypt's really falling apart. And now most leaders would, would see this. And remember, Nubia is super strong militarily. Most leaders would see this as this is our chance to take over Egypt and completely control these fools. And PA kind of does this, but he does it for a different reason. PA doesn't, PA decides to attack Egypt because they're, they're, they're kind of down and out right now. But he doesn't do it because he wants to basically break himself free of Egypt per se. He wants to save Egypt. He wants to be the one that basically brings them back together again because him, along with all his people, love Egypt. They love the Egyptian culture and they want to preserve it. So they are, you know, they're basically like, they can't figure it out. We're going to figure it out for them. We're going to be the ones that saves Egypt. So PA makes it this personal mission to take over Egypt because he just wants to basically bring it back to its former glory because he loves Egypt. Um, so whatever, PA decides to invade Egypt and literally within a year, 
Within a year, Nubia has conquered Egypt. The people that have controlled Nubia for some time, the PA completely flips the script and he's like, psych, we've taken over Egypt. They completely, you know, conquered Egypt in a very short span of time. And again, really what ended up happening was because it was Egypt really had their own problems. So of course, like when that happens, when countries are like dealing with internal struggles, that is the time to strike. And that's exactly what Nubia did. So whatever, PA and the Nubians have successfully taken over Egypt, and now he, PA, can, rules over both Egypt and Nubia for 35 years, and he proclaims himself the lord of the two lands. And it's a fun title, I guess. And uh, after he conquers Egypt, though, this is what happens. Instead of, you know, basically being like, ha-ha, I've taken you over, you're mine now, how do you like it? He just kind of gets back... Uh, you know, turns around and goes home. And he literally never comes back into Egypt for the rest of his life. After he conquers Egypt, like he's still running Egypt from Nubia, but he never goes back to Egypt. He's like, he runs in, takes over with the military. He sorts out all of Egypt's problems, which they've been dealing with. And he's like, guys, here we go. Problem solved. I'm going home. And that's it. He literally just came in, conquered them just to fix their issues. And yeah, that's literally it. Nubia fixed Egypt. They, ironically, by Egypt forcing their culture onto Nubia, they effectively were able to create, you know, Egyptian, you know, diehard Egyptian, uh, you know, fans. And those people were the ones who had enough passion and love for Egypt to save Egypt when it itself had no idea of what it was anymore. It completely lost its way. It was ripping itself apart from the inside. And these Nubians came in and um, they were the ones who saved Egypt because they loved Egyptian culture so much. But so, yeah, these guys are really, really interesting. I mean, how, how this group of people, the Nubians, were able to be like the defibrillator that revives Egypt's, you know, dying heart. And they are pretty much vital to the continuation of Egypt for as long as it ends up lasting anyway, but they're not really talked about at all. They are like a footnote in most history books. And it's weird. It's so weird. I mean, they get downplayed so much, and there's a reason why. And sadly, it's because back then, uh, Nubia was revered, as I said. They were fierce warriors. People respected them. They were massive traitors. They literally saved Egypt they were really good. They were a powerhouse, you know, just, you know, really, they were really a strong country. Um, and people respected them. People respected them. Literally when Nubia took over Egypt, they, they, it was recognized. People knew, oh wait, the Nubians are in charge now. And this is why Nubia is kind of downplayed. It's kind of sad, but it's basically because of when archeologists started digging up Nubia in like the 1800s, Basically, what ends up happening is these archaeologists are people from Europe. And unfortunately, these archaeologists, if you know, by the 1800s, this is a time period when the slave trade is still in effect. Now, it's about to be taken care of soon, but slavery will still last in major countries until the 1880s, um, with Brazil ending slavery being really the last major world power to end slavery. So they've got a way to go, but the slave trade itself starts to end in the 1800s. But unfortunately, during this time period, there is still a lot of racism. And when archaeologists are in Africa and digging up the Nubians' structures and fossils, you know, and, you know, skeletons and all these things that they're digging up, 
these people are coming in with the mindset of we want to downplay this as much as possible because we don't want to give credit to people who are from Africa, more or less. Um, Europe's, Europe is really the reason why Africa is in such a bad shape now because they completely destroyed Africa by, you know, basically taking all its resources and then leaving everyone out, you know, out to dry. But still, they never really recognized that. And pretty much Europe was super duper, these people, these European archaeologists were super duper racist and they didn't really care about the Nubians uh, and giving them credit because they didn't want to give credit to those people because they're from Africa. And Nubians were, yes, if you look at a Nubian, they were actually different than Egyptians. They were very dark-skinned. They looked like someone from Sudan. They, they were dark-skinned people. Um, actually, it's the, the, the era of the Nubians controlling Egypt was the known as the era or uh, the time of the black uh, pharaohs because that's exactly who were in charge. And again, who cares? Like, it's, they, they were super successful. Like, you know, they should get the credit. But unfortunately, due to these, you know, dirtbag archaeologists, they completely downplayed them. And now for years and years and years, the Nubians are just like completely, you know, not talked about. And then until recently, like 30, 40 years ago, people have started finding more information on the Nubians that we know now. And they're starting to realize, oh, wow, these guys are actually crazy impressive. They were super good at most things they were doing. They were better at being Egyptian than the Egyptians were, and they're the only reason Egypt was able to be revived and able to continue on. And yeah, the Nubians are a super impressive group of people, but they got downplayed because of people deciding to rewrite write them out of history, effectively, or at least downplay them. And people do this all the time in history. We have positive battles all the time of people trying to rewrite things in history textbooks to basically serve a certain purpose for them or for whatever they're agenda is pretty much and that's not cool you need to just whatever happened is what happened and you should people should just embrace that and this is because if you don't then people like the nubians you know you know all their all, all their accomplishments get erased pretty much people don't get to appreciate them and i didn't know anything about the nubians until very recently and then once i was you know once i learned about them i was like these guys are actually pretty cool these guys are great and why did no one teach me about them that's because for years no one really didn't know much about them because no one <laughs> they got completely you know smushed out of the t history textbooks uh but i just found them to be super fascinating and i hope other people find the newbies super fascinating and that's why i wanted to do a podcast on them so i hope everyone enjoyed you know uh the newbians and i hope you you know take away that once you you know dig a little deeper you dissect further into history as i say you start to see uh, start to see how cool certain people were, uh, people who we all forget. And uh, that's in the case of the Nubians. And hopefully as years pass, people will appreciate them more and they'll be in more textbooks and talked, talked about more. But overall, um, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast on the Nubians. And um, here's to season three, I guess. We're back. And I hope everyone stays safe and has a great rest of 2020. Hopefully we end on a positive note this year. Thanks, guys. See you later.